and welcome to Movie Fail Podcast. I'm Soren Howe, and I'm here with Josh Rosenfield, and we're going to be discussing the fifth episode of season four of Game of Thrones, first of his name. So, um, yeah, this was uh, <laughs> not uh, not the biggest, uh, most crazy episode uh, I've seen in a while, but uh, it had a lot going on, I think, so uh, I think we have a, a bunch to talk about. Um, so, so why don't you... Uh, I don't know. How did you feel about it? This was another uh, Michelle McLaren episode. It was, yeah. Not as um, kind of... Uh, well, the last episode wasn't bombastic either, but it felt like it was definitely moving. There was a lot of kind yeah, of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was a lot more propulsive, I think, than this one. Um, and that's, you know... A slow Game of Thrones episode is still pretty, you know, explosive in places. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And there was a lot of great stuff in this episode. But yeah, it's kind of... Like when we get this uh, stuff, like Daenerys's scene, not a whole lot goes on. It's basically just she she says, "All right, I'm going to stay here, Angerine." Right, right, exactly. That's literally. It's like <laughs> it's her. It's her, her debating what she's going to do. Um, yeah, and she decides to not do anything. Right. Well, <laughs> yeah. well, I mean, it sort of seems like she said she's going to rule, which implies that she's going to maybe deal with the slavers in the cities which she supposedly freed but now seem to be uh, slipping back into their old ways. Yeah, that's going to, I guess, be the centerpiece of her storyline going forward. Right. Um, what struck me about this episode mostly was how funny it was. This is a one of the funniest episodes in recent memory. And you don't think of Game of Thrones as like a really comedic show. Yeah. But it really was. There were so many moments where it's just, I felt like if you put a laugh track over this, it would feel like a sitcom. Just the way the conversations were kind of structured. Right. I'm thinking of like um, when Tywin is talking about uh, Robert, and he says something like, "He always used to pet me on the back." I oh never yes, trusted him. that was hilarious. That's a really yeah. funny line, yeah. and it doesn't feel out of place with the show or with the character. So I like it when Game of Thrones is able to kind of bring that sense of humor to characters who don't usually carry kind of the comedy like Tyrion. Right. Um, well, I mean, I mean, to be fair, the, um, Tywin was sort of building off of Robert's inherent, uh, humor because he was, a, you know, he's a much funnier, more, um, uh, likable kind of guy than, uh, I think Tywin. Oh. So, um, so he was sort of building off of his, uh, established character, but yes, I agree. I actually was going to say about this episode in general. Um, I think it's it was a very positive episode. Like good things happened throughout the whole episode, including the finale. It was just it was a very like the there have been a lot of ep- actually that that's probably true of a lot of the season, but in general, just like the worst thing that happens in this episode is that on Lysa is still crazy, uh, but. But that's but that's really it, and and it's not like anything really comes of it yet, uh, as far as uh, as far as this episode's concerned. So, um, so yeah, I was just it was like um, you have you have Tywin and and you have Cersei talking to um, talking to uh, Oberyn and having a fairly um, low key positive conversation. You have Tywin sort of making this weird joke about Robert. Um, the whole final scene, which we'll get to later, Beyond the Wall, is fairly good, happy, things. good things happen. There's a lot of satisfaction in, in people getting their due and things like that. So, yeah, this whole episode was it, it was uncharacteristically uh, positive, I think. Is the... And I think it's notable that 
this episode, you're right, it is, there are a lot of kind of more positive events in it, but it also doesn't feel like a conclusive, it doesn't feel like a conclusion. Oh, no, no, absolutely not. It's very much a bridge episode. Yeah. So, along this bridge to the more final events, we're getting some good stuff happening, but I think the show is also telling us, like, this isn't how it's, any of this is going to end, necessarily. Right, 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 right. exactly. And I I think that there's, um, the, uh, there are moments that are sort of ambiguous. It's just like there are enough big moments of positivity that the that moments like the Hound and Arya's scene together in a different episode might have felt darker, but the way it comes across, it seemed much more lighthearted. Um, even even when she names the Hound as somebody that she wants to kill, it doesn't feel like ooh like they're gonna end up fighting or something. It's just sort of brazen and you're like haha you know like yeah, yeah and again it's a moment of it feels funny yeah you know? yeah exactly so yeah um, like i, I want to put a laugh track over that scene because just the way that mclaren kind of lands the lines yeah and the play and where she kind of where the act she has the actors put them it's totally it's it's not played necessarily dramatically yeah it's a r- interesting way to to play all these scenes Yes, exactly, exactly. Even when uh, Arya is talking about this heartbreaking scene from the first season, um, with uh, with her her sword uh, teacher, dance master guy. Um, so uh, so yeah. So I, I thought I thought they all um, it was an interesting choice tonally to, to to sort of frame it like that. But on the subject of um, uh, first episode and and the way that this sort of episode played out, I actually thought it was really cool that this season in general seems to be. Obviously, you requ- it requires a lot of the things that happened in the last two seasons, but it almost feels like more of a direct sequel to the first season. There's more callbacks, it feels like, to the first... You know, Robert's mentioned in, seri- in all seriousness for the first time, um, like, as a person, not just as the king who was here before, but, you know, like, he used to pat me on the back or whatever. And, and, and um, even the very first scene where Cersei's talking to Marjorie, uh, they meet behind the pillars in the throne room, which is where I believe Jamie and Cersei meet in the very beginning of the first episode after yeah, John Yeah, we do get a reveal about that later, which we'll get right, to. Right, right, exactly. But it's just like there's... And exactly, and finally we're getting some feedback on the uh, on the, the Hand of the King, um, Lord Aaron's uh, death, and we're getting more of um, the Eerie all of a sudden again, and Robin and all of these characters who we haven't seen really since the first season. And, and now... Um, Littlefinger's become a bigger character again. Uh, so it's really weird because this this season, like I said, it just it seems to have all these callbacks, which we've mentioned in previous podcasts, but especially this episode, even just visually, uh, there was a lot of um, mentions, it seemed like, um, of things that had happened previously um, in, the, in the very first, uh, first book. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of stuff to talk about, I think mostly focused on King's Landing and yeah. now the Vale. Right, but I guess we could talk about this is the King's Landing stuff in this episode is all about Cersei, yeah, which is interesting. Um, she's taken center stage. I don't even think we see Jamie. Do we see yeah, him in this episode? I don't believe he's in this episode at all. Yeah, so everything that happened, every single scene is centered around Cersei reacting to something or Cersei not not even really doing anything until her last scene with Oberyn. She's right. just kind of like trying. To, you know, she's having a semi-friendly conversation with Marjorie, although Marjorie makes some comments that are clearly meant to kind of needle at her. Um, and then Tywin is reminding her that she still has to marry Loras. 
Right. I mean, one thing I will say about these scenes is what I what I loved about them is that um again to further to further cement the out of placeness of that that other ep- that other episode two episodes ago um that that one scene they're really humanizing Cersei a lot. He, she has a civil, you know, there's it's kind of passive aggressive but uh, for her generally um uh, a rather civil conversation with Marjorie. Then she has a conversation with Tywin where she's pretty upfront about her feelings about the the wedding. It's pretty clear how she feels. Um, and then they have a serious, honest discussion about the debt that the Lannisters owe. Uh, and then she has a serious, honest conversation about her daughter going to Dorne uh, with Oberyn. And, like, all of these moments really combine together. You know, and, and the moment where she's talking to Marjorie and talking about how she even finally admits that she thinks Joffrey was crazy and that she knew that it was irrational to love him because, you know, she he was her son. Uh, but just this, all these reveals for her, like emotional reveals really gave her uh, a sense of like, um, sympathy. We could really sympathize with her. I felt like. Yeah, for sure. It's, uh, it, cause Cersei has been such kind of a nasty character. Right. Exactly. As, as long as we've known her and it took maybe the death of her son, who was even nastier right. to kind of both awaken her to this, and, and allow her to admit that, yeah, this Joffrey was awful, and I, yeah, she's very conflicted about that, I feel. Um, you know, because on the one hand, this is her son, and she has to love him be- just because of that. But on the other hand, she also has to acknowledge that he was a psychopath, and she had some kind of hand in that. There's really no denying that, you know, she she raised him. There was something that, that happened. And, and she enabled it, yeah. Yeah, exactly, and she enabled it. Um, so Cersei kind of having these, the show is allowing her to become more self-aware and maybe uh, maybe be on a track to change. Well, I guess we'll kind of see how it plays out. I think that would be interesting to see her have a, a redemptive arc right. similar to Jamie. Right, exactly. And and I would, I would say, um, just on that note, and since you mentioned Daenerys earlier, um, she seems to be coming to grips with the fact that Tommen's king now and, and and almost admits that she thinks he might actually be uh he might actually be a good king and, and Marjorie sort of uh leads her down that sort of conversation path. Um but it seems like people in general, even when because uh, Tommen's named right at the beginning uh as the king and everyone seems genuinely alright with what's going on. Um so when we go to Daenerys and, and everyone's telling her that the uh, Westeros is more vulnerable than it's ever been, and King's Landing is so vulnerable. You're just sitting there going, like, really? Finally, like, a normal guy ends up being king, and this is the, you know, <laughs> all people see is, ooh, now it's vulnerable. Now we can, you know, take take the uh, take the city. So um, that was kind of depressing, but I, I think that the, the sort of the peace and calm for now that's come over uh, King's Landing because Tommen's uh, in charge and not Joffrey has really... Uh, been a, an interesting thing to humanize to humanize uh, Cersei and, and the other characters. And Tommen does seem like he is going to be genuinely a good king. And yeah. It's interesting that they have aged him up because in the book he was a child. Right. And there was no indication of that other, not because he was evil or anything, but just because he's a kid. They talk about how um, his first, I think this is right, his first order of business is to like outlaw some vegetable that he doesn't like. Um, and he spends all day stamping official documents because that's his favorite thing to do is use this big stamp or the seal. Um, so yeah, so he seems in the show, 
like, you know, he's less childish. He is still a child, but he's less, he's a little bit more mature. So, yeah, it is kind of unfortunate that, you're, you're right, it is unfortunate. He seems like he could actually maybe not be a terrible king for once. Yep. But because of that, um, no one's afraid of him. Exactly, exactly. People were kind of uh, terrified of Joffrey, not that he was imposing, but that he was so unpredictable and crazy that um, it was very difficult to like uh, do any sort of open battle with him because he was so uh, off the wall. Um, so yeah, so it's it's really it's tough because I mean that's exactly what it was with you know when when um, this is again another I feel like another callback to the first season when Ned Stark's named Hand of the King you're like cool somebody's like nice is gonna be Hand of the King he can get things done and everything will be all right and um, if we've learned anything that's not how um, that's not how the Game of Thrones universe works as soon as there's somebody even remotely tolerable in power uh, that's not gonna last long. Although, as we mentioned earlier, uh, Daenerys is not going to go. She's not. She's not. And that was like another positive thing where you're like, oh, cool. She's going to keep her, you know, keep everyone out of slavery and she's going to stay here. And, you know, Tommen can rule over there and he's all right. And, you know, and so, yeah, I, um, I, there was a lot, I, I feel like we're waiting for the other shoe to drop. But for now, everything seems to be okay. With Daenerys especially. Yes. Yeah, because we get kind of these. She's hearing these rumors that Yunkai is, you know, the slavers have taken it back over, and the same thing in Astapor. So you're definitely, like, she's on top of the world right now. Something's coming, and you can tell that there's going to be something that's going to that's gonna bring her down very soon. And especially since she's decided to stay and rule, it's something to do with, you know, maybe she's... Maybe she's a bad ruler. We don't really know yet. She yeah, exactly. Really had any experience. Exactly, and we don't know that, and, um, you know, she's got resources but they're not endless so yes it'll be definitely it'll be interesting to see it is cool though that she has a navy finally because she's been angling for that for like three seasons um that was another funny moment by the way uh when dario comes in and says he captured the navy and he says it was because he heard she liked boats right yeah exactly Um, i really like new dario i think i've decided you've decided that yeah no i i like him too i'm i would like um he's very like quippy and um, I'd like more time with him to really get to see his, like, deeper than just, you know, a slick surface. Like, clearly he's, he's like, charming or whatever, but I, you know, I want to see what he's actually like just in a more intimate sort of moment. Um, so I guess we'll see if that, uh, if we get to see that at all. But for now, I, I do. I, I think he's um, uh, that's certainly a tolerable uh, follow-up uh, to the previous actor. Yeah, for sure. Um, um, so, uh, so I guess from uh, from from this from King's Landing, they uh, uh, it turns to Littlefinger and um, and Sansa as they head into yeah. the Vale. They've arrived at the Vale. Um, what was your feeling like immediately as they get there? Lysa comes out. She's like, you know, seems very kind to Sansa. It it definitely it's played for a long time as very positive and happy. And you want that for Sansa because she's been in this nightmare right. for so long. And they don't let that other shoe drop until like the very last moment. It really feels like, you know, Lysa is maybe uh, a little, a little less crazy. Uh, yeah. But you know, it's not like dangerous. <laughs> um, 
until we find out later. Right, right. Well, we find that out later, but I would say that even then, I mean, considering where she was coming from, I mean, all the things that went down in, in the in the Capitol, plus, um, uh, you know, Joffrey, and just, like, the nature of being around people like that, being around the Lannisters, um, even if Lysa's crazy, for now, she hasn't, like, brutally murdered prostitutes and done all of the horrible things that, you know, happen fairly regularly, and she hasn't beheaded any of her immediate relatives, and she has you know what I mean, so... Well, yes. she's murdered at least one person who was pretty close to her. That's true. Um, That's did true. You, let's talk about that, because um, I had forgotten, actually, that that was a big reveal, because, and I think this is really interesting, both the books and the show... They drop. They totally drop the, the "Who Killed John Aaron" thing after it happens. Right. Um, and the show plays it in such a way that you just assume that the Lannisters did it because that's what Lysa said. Right. That's and the implication. The first time we, like you said earlier, the first time we meet Jamie and Cersei, they're looking at John Aaron's dead body and they're having this kind of coded conversation, and it's implied that they did it because he knew that they were sleeping together. Right. So the show never plays it as a mystery. It's not like the the, the "Who Killed Joffrey" mystery that we had over the past few episodes. So now we have this big reveal that no, it's it was Littlefinger who orchestrated basically the events of the series up to this point, right? Because that was the thing that kicked off the series. If that hadn't happened, Ned wouldn't have gone to King's Landing. He wouldn't have been the Hand. Is you know, none of this would have happened, right? Um, exactly. No, I it was uh, it was a pretty remarkable moment that um, that where he sort of just it sort of, it was sort of expositional, but you know. They're reuniting um, Liza and uh, and Littlefinger, and they just like suddenly all this information is dropped about all these things that we um, that we were wondering about for the past you know like four seasons, and now we finally get got an answer to. I mean, things that I had totally forgotten about, like John Aaron. Um, but uh, but one thing I will say is that I was uh, genuinely um, I was genuinely excited to see the Eerie again because. Uh, it looks like it looks like nothing's changed since uh, season one. Um, it, some of my favorite scenes were um, some of my favorite scenes were in that uh, in that room with uh, Tyrion and, and the whole um, Bronn uh, champion thing. So uh, I was really glad to to be back here, and then all of this information suddenly dropped. And also, it, the other thing that was cool is um, I was a little concerned that maybe some of the actors wouldn't be back. I wasn't really, I hadn't really heard anything about that, but, uh, they still have Robin, the same kid, uh, playing Robin and they still have, uh, the same, uh, actress playing, uh, playing Lysa. So it really feels like they were just there. Um, and, uh, yeah. So yeah, I think it's smart not to age Robin up in that way. Like they did with the Tommen. Right. Because we, you know, yeah, Robin and Lysa were a big kind of, even though we saw very little of them, they were just the, their presence, made an impression. Right. So I think if they had recast Robin, even though we haven't seen that character since, you know, season one, you would have made a difference. Yes, exactly. So, and, and, and he was, he was actually, you know, he, he doesn't seem like he's aged at all. I'm sure if you saw them immediately next to each other, you would notice it. But, um, you know, he's got the exact same idiosyncrasies and he's got, he said he makes a reference to making Tyrion fly, uh, which is, um, was like an instant callback, and it felt like I said, it felt like it fit right in with the first season. Yeah, and it's because yeah, because of those little kind of uh, uh, quirks, he feels like a, he felt like a character even in 
as those brief scenes that we saw him in. Right. Whereas, you know, Tom and wasn't the character up to this point. Exactly. So, so it's fine that they just introduce this, this actor who seems to be doing a good job. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah, then we have just like last episode, the conclusion of this Craster's keep adventure. Last episode, I kind of was freaking out about this because they, you know, they were deviating from the books and I don't know what's going to happen. And right. in this episode, they kind of, they just go back to the books and nothing really changes. Right, right. They do. Although I will say that, um, and perhaps it sucks because there's not like a huge payoff for this, um, for this, uh, this sort of threat that we talked about last episode, this weird music that would play every time they, there was a shot of Locke doing something. Um, and then there's like this implication in this episode that something's going to happen, um, with Locke doing something crazy and, and evil and wrong. But, um, then there's like a totally, it's satisfying in that it's, like I said, positive, uh, as we've got a lot of positive moments where Locke, who's, we know is like crazy and has done a lot of, uh, crazy things, um, immediately gets his retribution for trying to, um, prevent John and, and, and Bran from reuniting. So I, I really, I thought it was great when, um, when Bran, uh, takes, uh, uses his warg abilities and takes over, uh, Hodor and Hodor gets to kill, um, kill Locke. So I, I, I thought it was a really, uh, it was sort of a therapeutic moment, even if it wasn't a payoff of this like threat that we had thought was coming. Yeah, I really thought that we were going to see more of Locke. I was kind of s- surprised that the guy would... But, I mean, on the other hand, he served his purpose and he it worked. Yeah, yeah and, no, uh, it was fine. It, it was fine. It's just like he it was implied that he'd be a bigger threat. And he, he wasn't... He was dealt with pretty quickly. Yeah, well, it was, you know, not the first time the show has set something up and then just kind of... And then killed it off almost instantly. Right, exactly. Maybe we shouldn't have been so surprised. Um, and uh, it was also good to see... I mean, we sort of knew this was coming, but uh, Rast uh, getting killed by a uh, ghost um, after him tormenting uh, tormenting ghost in the previous episode. Or was it maybe two episodes ago? Um, it would have been the last episode. It was last episode. Okay, yeah. yeah. So we kind of knew that was coming. There was this back and forth, and, and now they've sort of given us a little conclusion to that. But that was satisfying because he sucked. He was awful, awful character. Yeah. We got um, rid of uh, Carl, too. Um, that was, Carl as a character is just so strange to me. Because he's, like, I, I, I laugh every time he tries to act like a badass. I, you know, it's, because he's so, because it's, you know, this actor, Bern Gorman, um, I think of him as the scientists from Pacific Rim. <laughs> um, right. So when he's, you know. He's also cool. in uh, Torchwood as well as a much more, um, uh, far less sinister sort of character. Yeah, when he pulls out his these knives and he starts clanging them together, like yeah. uh, he's a hibachi chef. Right. Like I like a hibachi chef. That's what it sounds like. Yeah, <laughs> it's so obvious what's going to happen to him. The show really does telegraph it. Like he he, he can't take John. <laughs> well, well, actually, I mean, it seems like he could, and he did. That's the thing about this scene that's so interesting is that um, uh, it's one of Craster's wives that I think saves John. I think John would have died. That's true. Yeah. That's um, true. Actually, yes. Uh, the, he, while he talks a big game, he, he genuinely somehow, first of all, just, I know it's very, um, uh, like video game MMO, uh, style to have like a character who uses like knives to fight people. Um, 
And it's it's cool if you ever watch if you ever get a chance to watch Spartacus, there are characters that use like knives. There, there's a couple of characters that do that, but they because that show's so focused on fight choreography, they very rarely show those characters doing anything but leap on people and stab them to death. There's no like there's no like sword fight with one person has a sword and one person has two knives because it's just so impractical and no one would actually do that. Like it's all gonna it's gonna be about sneaking up behind people or doing something crazy. It's not gonna be a straight up fight. So the scene was so weird because I'm like, how would somebody even fight another person if one person has a sword and one person has two knives? I mean it just would never happen. It's absurd. Um and so they sort of play out this weird little fight scene and then uh and then like I said John John ends up on his back. But yeah, and by the way, the very last episode, John is talking to the recruits, and he says, some of the wildlings fight with two weapons, so the first thing you've got to do is disarm yeah. one of them. And he does not do that He does not all. do that at all, nope. No, yeah, I, I had totally forgotten about that. Yeah, no, exactly. So he doesn't even follow his own advice, so... Um. So yeah, that was a... that was a, But it was a good moment, and I, I think it was good. I think it was sort of um, uh, refreshing to see Craster's wives finally take some sort of agency, one in killing Carl, and then afterwards saying that they're not going to, um, that they're going to burn down Craster's Keep and that they're not going to come back to the wall because they're like, no, we're going to do our own thing. Which perhaps isn't smart safety-wise, but, you know, it's like they have been doing what other people have told them to do for a very long time. And under everybody who's, like, ever run that little establishment, uh, it's been miserable for them. So I, I actually, I thought that was that was a good moment. Yeah, it's um, and they they will they know you know the goings on beyond the wall probably better than the Night's Watch even does. Right. They've interacted at least by proxy with the White Walkers, um, so you know they they seem confident. So right, exactly. Um, so and you know who knows maybe they'll end up coming into the picture again later. It's not really entirely clear. Um, and then I guess that brings us to the two uh, the two pairings which. Um, which we didn't get to mention yet uh, in any great detail, but we have uh, Brienne and Podrick, and we have um, we have uh, Arya and the Hound, um, which we mentioned briefly. But um, these were also entertaining. There was a lot of buddy uh, buddy. I don't want to say cop, but like uh, buddy adventure. Um, yeah, sort of moments going on in this, and and uh, I I I enjoyed them. I thought they were really cool. The dynamics are similar, not in how the two pairs interact, but just in terms of the tone yeah, the tone, exactly. of their relationship. Yep. Uh, I think Brienne and Podrick are more overtly comedic. Right. Because, you know, Pod is so inept, seemingly, and right. Brienne just, you know, her reactions to him are very kind of exasperated. Yes, and abrasive, um, yes. No, she, but, but you know, their, um, their friendship uh, seems to be evolving in a, in a, in a fairly organic way. Um, I wouldn't say that this scene would be out of place like around the end of the first act or the beginning of the second act in like a movie about two characters doing something like this. Um, so like it was kind of abrupt where they're like, oh, you know, oh, you actually know how to do, um, like you don't know how to cook, you know, rabbit or whatever. And by the end of the scene, they're you know she's he's helping her take off her armor. So, um, but it's funny, you know, it's cute, and it's not really all that relevant in terms of story. Um, it's really just more about setting up their chemistry um but i i enjoyed it and and i brianne continues to be a very compelling character i think um i think uh gwendolyn christie's been really nailing that that part uh and 
conveying like a good sense of um, seriousness, uh, but also she can be in a lighthearted sort of uh, back and forth like she's been with everyone, with Jamie, with um, Tyrion um, to some extent, and, and with Podrick. So, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So those scenes are really good. And then uh, Arya and the Hound have a very strange relationship, which seems a bit less um, positive than it was perhaps in the first episode. Uh, but I think that they're sort of growing on one another. It's kind of hard to tell. Well, the Hound's the Hound seems to be in his way, uh, acting as a mentor figure. It's a very um, a, you know brash and. Right abrasive uh personality but you know he is giving her good advice (laughs) in terms of he's not telling her you know oh you can't do this you'll never do this he's saying well if you want to do this this is how you would do it you're not doing it right 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 and if you do this you'll die (laughs) yeah because it's stupid yeah um which feels kind of awful because you know she had this mentor she loved a lot but you know he's not teaching her anymore because he's dead and the hound's still alive so um it's the hound's pragmatism, I think, that's yes. coming through. Yeah. Yes, exactly. He's, yeah, it's like he, he's he's dead. He died because he didn't even have a sword on him. That's dumb. Yeah, exactly. You know? It's like who doesn't have a sword on them? Exactly. Um, which is which is so funny because it's sort of this punch in the gut to the first uh, or to the first season where that scene happens because in that scene everyone was like, "Oh, this is going to be so awesome," and he ends up like killing two guards with like a wooden stick. Uh, so the fact that um, uh, the fact that the Hound just dismisses this whole event, which we loved in the first season, or at least I did, uh, was kind of funny, uh, both as the, for the audience and then also for Arya, she's sort of like, oh, okay, you know. Um, and uh, and I, it's funny also to me because while the Hound is uh, very talented, he's so much less elegant, you know? He's, yeah. he's very, like, swinging wildly at people. I'm sure there's some sort of um, logic to it, but it's just so much less uh, finessed. But um, but I really like also uh, when Arya uh, took a, a good jab at his uh, his middle, and she and he just like swats her away. Yeah, I think that about covers it. They like <laughs> not a not a big episode. For yeah, sure. absolutely. Although I, the one other thing I will say um, about this episode, the, um, the the sort of the callback to the first episode. I mean, to the to the first season again. You have that a lot with. Um, sort of Arya's sword training. Um, and then also there's that whole conversation they have about the mountain, um, which uh, the first thing I could think of was that scene uh, during the jousting uh, for Robert's big party thing he's having in the first um, first couple of episodes of the first season. And uh, the Hound comes out and fights with his brother very, very briefly. Um, but I, a guy just immediately flashed to that scene when I was... Um, when they were having this whole conversation about, about the mountain. So, um, and then of course the, the references to, uh, Sir, um, Serial. And so, uh, yeah, this whole season, this whole episode seems, seems to be like a direct reference to the first, uh, the first season. Um, and then I guess, so next week it's, uh, the laws of gods and men. Yep. We're halfway through the season already. Right. That feels kind of crazy, but, um, yeah. You know, it's, it's funny. You, so, we so you like not a lot happened this episode in terms of like momentous things, although it was certainly enjoyable. Um, but because this ep- the season has picked up so much momentum, a, a more of a filler sort of episode works fine here. Uh, but it's funny because if this were any other season, this fifth episode would be like the turning point where things start really picking up. 
So um, it's just, again, further points to that they're doing a completely different formula for this season. Yeah. It, Which it I is, like, like, again. Yeah, like I said earlier, it's a bridge. Yes. Um, the next episode, we're going to get probably, it looks like Tyrion's trial starting. Okay. So that should be interesting. Um, that's probably, I assume, what the title refers to and uh, yes, I, whatever else. I had assumed that as well. I was actually expecting some reference uh, in this episode to that trial. I know there was that brief back and forth with uh, Tywin and Cersei. Um, I actually assumed the laws of gods and men might also involve uh, Stannis a bit because we haven't seen him in a while, um, and the whole, you know, right to you know right to rule and right to the throne and all of that business. Um, That's true. Yeah. Really important well, to the last we heard of him, he was going to go to the Iron Bank of Braavos, which was also referenced by Tywin in this exactly. episode. So. Yep. So I it's think entirely that's probably possible. what we'll see. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess we'll we'll get together next week and, and talk about that. All right. All right. Thanks so much.